There is so much research out there and so many different health and fitness professionals who encourage us to adjust our workouts to where we are in our cycle, where we are during that phase of the month. And sometimes it gets overwhelming to think, what should we be doing? How can I move in this way that's going to support my body the best? All I really have is my, my one routine or I go for a walk. That is why I love Mosa On Demand. Mosa On Demand is an online virtual platform for fitness. There is meditation, there's recovery, there's prioritizing strength training, there's, again, mindfulness practices. And some things that I also love about it is that It doesn't shy away from different types of workouts. There's kickboxing, there is different types of martial arts classes, and these classes are growing all the time. So Mosa On Demand has hundreds of different workouts and they vary in timing from 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. So whether you are just winding down for bed and you wanna get a nice stretch in, or maybe you've been sitting at your desk all day and you wanna stretch, or you only have half an hour, or you really want to commit to a full 60 minutes. The podcast listeners today will get 30 days for free on top of an already 14-day free trial with the coupon code HOTTERTHANHEALTH. Again, these are workouts that fit every schedule, every phase of your month, every phase of your cycle. Whatever you're feeling that day, it helps you to stay extra consistent because you're not just doing the same old thing every single day so that your body gets used to it. You're mixing it up, you're challenging your muscles in different ways, and you're challenging your cardio, you're challenging your flexibility and your mind. Again, after 44 days, a subscription is only $9.99 per month. And again, podcast listeners get 30 days for free after a 14-day trial with the code HOTTERTHANHEALTH30. So again, that's 44 days for free to try it out. See if you like it. I can guarantee that you will be motivated by the music and the amazing coaches. That is mosaondemand.net, M-O-S-S-A, ondemand.net. Use the code HOTTERTHANHEALTH30 and enjoy. Welcome to the Hotter Than Health podcast, a plant-dominant podcast for those looking to expand and elevate their lives. Each week, we will bring you provocative conversations and topics, entertaining interviews, and some of the biggest names in health and wellness to answer your burning questions. You will leave each episode with tangible tips and takeaways and understand what it truly means to live an energized and optimized life. And I see this happen for a lot of people, even when they go to their doctor, which we all know sometimes there's things that are lost in translation there, but they're not telling them when to test in their cycle. So as a reproductive, a woman in the reproductive years, your hormones are changing on almost a weekly basis. So if you don't know where you are in your cycle, you're, you don't even know what reference range to look at because there's four different reference ranges based off where you are in your cycle. So I can't tell you, I would say hundred percent of the time when I look at labs from someone's doctor, um, they were not told when to test and they did not keep track of where they were in their cycle. Welcome to this week's episode of Hotter Than Health. This is a not a long-awaited episode because I've been telling people about it for a while and we've done hormone episodes, but I've got to say this one gets super, super specific. And if you are a woman who is even considering having children, if you're someone who has ever struggled with a period, if you even notice your PMS, if you have different types of symptoms when it comes to that time of the month, or you just want to learn about different ways that you can support your hormones, this is the episode for you. We had such a great conversation. I spoke with Lauren Papanos. She is an MSRD, CSSD hormone dietitian. She's a chief registered dietitian and founder of Functional Fueling. She has been featured in Shape, Insider, and Women's Health Magazine. Her goal is to help you live your healthiest hormone-balanced life. And in this episode, we what I love about this episode is that it wasn't just saying, oh, have a handful of walnuts for healthy fats or eat a bunch of animal protein. It was it was more granular. And that's really what people wanted. I think that so many episodes are out there right now, it, just through the zeitgeist. And with 
with this episode, I wanted to make sure that I was asking the questions that you all had. And an overwhelming amount of you wanted to know about hormone testing. What test and at what point of your cycle or should it, is it even important to test during a certain part of your cycle? I learned so much on this episode and there were some things that were really important to hear again. And overall, I really think that by focusing on one or two things at a time and really educating ourselves as women on not just female sexual or uh, our sex hormones, but on every other kind of hormone. We talk about the thyroid. We talk about adrenals. We talk about stress and anxiety. We talk about mood swings during PMS. We talk about progesterone, when and how to know when to test your hormones and what do you do afterwards. That was that was something that I think is really important to talk about is like, what do you do afterwards and what does it even mean? We get a high level view of what these hormones actually do, what do they mean, and what's the best test, when should we be taking it? I know you all will absolutely love this episode. If you do, make sure you share this episode on your social media. It is the best way to support the podcast. Again, if you haven't already, head to Apple Podcast and leave us a review and that will help more people find this episode. And I know I ask every time, but it's, look, there's there are 3 million podcasts out there. And if you don't have a shit ton of Instagram followers, it can be a little easier to fall, you know, in the back of the line. And reviews really, really help with that. And I appreciate it in advance. So without further ado, the long-awaited specific hormone episode with Lauren Papanos is here. I hope you all enjoy, and we will talk to you after the episode. The question that I got from, I think overall, it was 90% of people asked when it came to testing for hormones. I think that there's so many blood tests out there. There's so many urine tests. There's the Dutch test. There's so many opportunities out there right now. But people were asking, what is the best test that you can take without being referred by a doctor? Or what are the best tests to be taking at what time of the month? I think people are confused about that. They they might buy it and they have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. It's a really good question because there's so many tests that are out there and companies that are marketing to consumers, but there's not a lot of one. There's not evidence that those tests are actually lab validated. Right. So, um, a lot of times the testing results aren't good. Um, but also it's really important to know, and I see this happen for a lot of people, even when they go to their doctor, which we all know, sometimes there's things that are lost in translation there, but they're not telling them when to test in their cycle. So as a reproductive, a woman in the reproductive years, your hormones are changing on almost a weekly basis. So if you don't know where you are in your cycle, you're, you don't even know what reference range to look at because there's four different reference ranges based off where you are in your cycle. So I can't tell you, I would say hundred percent of the time when I look at labs from someone's doctor, um, they were not told when to test and they did not keep track of where they were in their cycle. When you get testing done, it's so important that you're going in either on day three, which day one would be the first day of bleeding. So the essentially three days after you started your period, you're either going on that point of your cycle, which is a really good place to test for um, hormones and blood, or you're testing post ovulation, which would be around day 19 to day 20. Um, I prefer, I like to see post ovulation testing results uh, personally, because I think that we have kind of a like low progesterone epidemic that's going on where so many women are dealing with low progesterone issues. And in the post ovulation timeframe, that's where you're going to get the best read on progesterone. The first half of your cycle, you're essentially making very little uh, progesterone. So you're not going to be able to really see if that's an issue that you're experiencing. So really important that you're testing at the right point. When you get those lab results back, write down exactly where you were in your cycle on them so that if you have someone review them with you later down the road, or if you go back and look at them, you can remember which reference range you're looking at, right? Um, in addition to that, in terms of the type of testing, it really depends on so many different things, right? So 
I don't just work with women on sex hormones. I also do a lot with thyroid hormones and stress hormones and hunger hormones, and they all have their different ways of testing that we want to prefer. And for example, if I'm testing someone's insulin levels and thyroid hormone levels, those are best to do in blood. But if I'm just testing someone's adrenal hormones, those are best to do in saliva. And if I'm just testing someone's reproductive hormones, I prefer to do those in urine because we're able to get the metabolites of them. So it really just depends on what you're trying to gather from the information, what testing you're doing, what you have access to as well. You know, like I've worked with some people before that live in really small towns. And so getting to a lab is like a two hour drive. So maybe it's better for us to do urine so that we can get the best testing results possible um, and not have to worry about the commute situation. Right. But there's so many different factors to think about. And it really just depends Mm -hmm. on what you're trying to get from it. When it comes to understanding when you take your test, let's just say, okay, you choose, I only really know a couple. So let's say you choose the Dutch test Mm -hmm. and that's what you decide to do because you feel really, really tired. You can't lose weight, whatever the symptoms are, you decide, okay, let's just shot in the dark, do this. And you don't get a period. What if you're someone who doesn't get a period either because of birth control or just because for whatever reason, there's an imbalance and you don't know what to do. Is it still worth it to take the test if you don't know where exactly you are on your cycle? Again, it kind of depends. I would say most of the time, no, because you're going to get really low numbers. And it's the same thing. Mm. If you're postmenopausal, you're going to get really low numbers. And, you know, sometimes if I'm working with someone that has like PCOS, for example, or hypothalamic amenorrhea, where they are conditions that are impacting the menstrual cycle, but they not, they aren't necessarily medically induced, right. Where with like birth control, that's something that there's no way you're going to be able to change that situation. The birth control is impacting the hormonal levels. Right. Um, but if someone maybe has PCOS or amenorrhea and they're having really irregular periods, then I might still test so that we can get a starting point. And we might be able to gather from that. Like for example, a woman with PCOS, we might be able to gather, Oh, her testosterone or, uh, her DHA levels are really elevated. And that's one of the reasons why it's blocking her ability to have a normal cycle. And so then from that, I know, okay, if we can really address that and work on that the next couple of months, then when we retest, we're going to see the estrogen progesterone start to pick up. Right. Um, or with someone like amenorrhea, you know, if, uh, typically with amenorrhea, for example, it's, it presents very differently than does PCOS. So, um, typically with amenorrhea, we see really high cortisol levels. The body's under a lot of stress and that's what's blocking the reproductive system. So if you do a Dutch test, we are testing for those stress hormone levels and we can see just how much of an issue that is and how that is directly impacting your ability to ovulate and to be able to make estrogen, progesterone and so forth. So you're thinking, okay, we should still maybe take those it, but talk to your doctor or talk to whoever is going to be going over those labs with you. But yeah, what I think is also important to go over. I think that there are so many hormones are just such a hot buzz topic as they have been for the past five or so years. I think just in social media and in different podcasts that you hear, it's just, we're talking about it more. We're talking about egg retrieval and we're talking about hormone panels. We're talking about all these different things, PCOS and insulin resistance. What at a high level for someone who has heard about the thyroid, but is familiar with it, not super in tune with it. Can you tell us a little bit about the thyroid? What is its function? And then can you talk about maybe progesterone, some of the more high level details of specific hormones? Because I think like if you're explaining it to a kindergartner, actually, if you could just narrow it down to thyroid and adrenals, that would be helpful. Okay. Yeah. So it's important to note that our entire hormone system or what we call the endocrine system is all connected. So when you are testing hormones or you're treating hormones, you don't want to treat things in silo. And I think that that's one of the issues that I see a lot is that people are trying to just resolve issues within their sex hormones, like estrogen and progesterone on their own. And they're not investigating adrenal hormones and thyroid hormones. Similarly, 
if we've got thyroid issues going on, we've got to take a look at your sex hormones, your adrenal hormones, because they all are constantly a revolving door that are impacting one another. So when we're talking about the thyroid in particular, the thyroid is really a growth hormone. And I always think of the thyroid as like the master regulator of speed in the body. So anything that is going to be driven off of speed, the thyroid is going to regulate. And that's going to be everything from hair and nail growth to metabolism to digestion, right? Those are all speed dependent. Thyroid is also going to regulate if you're pregnant growth of the baby, because again, speed growth, right? So when we're seeing issues present in how things are turning over, so um, say like your hair falling out and not then growing back at the rate that it did, um, you know, seeing issues with like really dry skin, because maybe we're not getting as much of that, um, like healthy skin turnover as well or issues metabolically, then we want to think thyroid for sure. But the, there's this little area on the brain that's called the hypothalamus. And that's really where all of your endocrine system is being regulated from. And so if you can kind of think of it as like a three prong web, the hypothalamus is sending signals down to the thyroid, to the adrenals and to the ovaries. And Mm -hmm. it's a negative feedback loop. So they're going like back and forth to one another. Right. So again, that's why it's so important that when we're thinking about even just the thyroid, we're also asking the bigger question as to like, what's going on with the adrenals. We also know that something like progesterone impacts our thyroid. We know that, um, low progesterone levels will drive low thyroid function and low thyroid function will drive low progesterone levels. We also know what are that, some symptoms, what are some yeah. symptoms of low progesterone? Sorry to cut you off. No, you're fine. Well, the biggest one that I see a lot of women not doing, but that we should be doing is testing for ovulation. If you're not ovulating, you're not making progesterone. And that's something that you can test at home. It's like essentially a free tool for you to be able to see if progesterone is an issue for you. Um, but we've got to be ovulating and using just a calendar method. Isn't a good indicator of that because it's just based off an algorithm. It doesn't actually have any you know, any implication on what's going on in your body. Right. Um, there are symptoms you can look for. So for example, at around halfway through your cycle, are you getting cervical mucus changes? Are you noticing an increase in energy? Um, some women experience ovulation cramping. It almost feels like they're about to start the period, but they don't, you can go based off that. But again, it's not really enough. You really do want to have some other metric outside of that. I personally prefer testing basal body temperatures, which is just taking your, your baseline body temperature every morning when you first wake up, because what will happen is that right after you ovulate, you're going to see a spike of about 0.5 to a full degree. Um, and that's because of progesterone. So if you've got oh, a really, after you ovulate after you ovulate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And those are the, those are the thermometers that you can get. I think I did some reel on them, but I think they're so interesting. So they're just thermometers you can get on Amazon, right? I mean, obviously they're ovulation thermometers for a regular, you can use any thermometer. Oh, people are just marketing for it's yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Don't waste your money folks. Yeah. No, you can just use any under the tongue thermometer. Like you have one to test your fever. If you get sick, fine. Use that. Um, it is best if it goes to two decimal points, um, goes like you can see two decimals behind the decimal point. Um, because then you're able to see like any small fluctuations, but honestly, any thermometer that is, you know, valid is good. And of course there are companies out there, you know, there's even like ones on Amazon that you can get that are basal body temperature thermometers. And really all that means is that they just have some type of system that's like syncing that data for you. And that's fine if you want to do that. But I have plenty of women I work with. They literally just keep like a pen, like a journal that has their thermometer, their temperatures on it. And like, that's sufficient if you understand what you're looking at. Got it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, those are, that's like a really easy tool. Um, there are ovulation test strips that you can do as well, but they're not as accurate. So that is like a secondary option that you can do. So those are great. I mean, outside of that, there's always symptoms that you can look for as well. Right. So, um, if you are, you know, if you have low progesterone levels, then you're probably going to have a shorter luteal phase. So again, if you know how long your period is because you're keeping track of that, then it's really easy to identify that. So, um, you know, if you're having like a 24, 25, 26 day cycle, or maybe your ovulation window is fluctuating a lot, those are definitely signs that there's some low progesterone happening. Um, progesterone is also our chill hormone. So if you are dealing with a lot of anxiety, especially right before your period, you have extreme PMS symptoms, tender breasts, 
big mood changes that could indicate that there's not enough progesterone helping balance out that estrogen level. It's a lot easier for our body to make estrogen. I very rarely see low estrogen levels unless someone is um, amenorrheic. Uh, typically it's going to be low progesterone. That's the issue. Can we talk about PMS for a second? Because I feel like over the past one or two months, I have had less of this, but there is a period of time, maybe six months. And I was really, I was starting to get freaked out because before my period, and trust me, I was doing everything I could like no caffeine, no drinking alcohol, getting good sleep, not doing crazy high intensity workouts, getting plenty of protein. And I really thought I was doing everything that I could, but before my period, I would get so low. It wasn't even that my skin was super insane or my energy was incredibly low, but my moods would dip. Uh, I mean, I was, I was getting nervous. I was like, this is, if this is every single month, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I was Googling it. I was, here I am Googling, but I was like, look, if this is what every woman goes through, then this is a big, 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 big problem. But what is the difference between regular PMS, a little bit of fluctuation and extreme mood swings? What can be happening there? Because no, thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it typically will ebb and flow too, where you might experience every couple months and then maybe you'll start to be able to figure out like what's driving it. Right. But I always tell women that there's not really like a metric of, you know, it, it's very subjective, right? It's based off of what your normal is and what feels tolerable for you, but it should not feel like your period is debilitating or that it's impacting your daily life. So, you know, day one of your cycle, it's normal to have some cramping, but to still be able to work through it. Right. Like sure. maybe you're a little more fatigued, but you're still able to go about your day. You don't have to call in sick to work. You can go to school, whatever it is. Right. But if there's anything beyond that, where you're having PMS for multiple days beyond just the first day of bleeding, or it's to the point where you can't go about your daily life as you normally would, then I would consider that PMS. Um, and that's something that we need to identify is what's driving that. Oh my gosh. It's miserable. Do you have any, do you have any tools other than the testing? Let's say you're, maybe you're waiting on test results. Maybe you have mm -hmm. a month before they come back or whatever it is. What are some tools? Let's say, cause right now this is actually perfect timing. I got a message from flow on my app and it's like, you might notice cravings and bloating and acne. Fantastic. Thank you. I can't <laughs> wait. But uh, also I, I wasn't expecting that and I feel great and I feel like my skin looks good. So now I'm just anticipating more. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's like setting me up, but let's just say someone is seven to 10 days out from their period. What are some supplements or holistic practices or, or supplements that you would recommend? And I know it's hard to give blanket advice, but for someone who's going, who doesn't want extreme PMS. I mean, I've been taking chastberry and a little bit of iodine and a couple of other random things, but what would you recommend? Yeah. I mean, of course it depends on like, what's your root cause, what's your driver of PMS, because there's so many, right. Um, I would say, you know, like hormonal imbalance is going to be one of them for sure. And, you know, with like low mood, for example, that's because your estrogen levels drop. And when estrogen drops, your serotonin levels drop and serotonin is that neurotransmitter that makes us feel good. Right. And serotonin is very much driven back and forth by estrogen. Um, it's also very much driven off of carbohydrate too. So it could be something to look at like 5-HTP, for example, is the precursor to, um, to serotonin. And for some women that can be a really helpful supplement to take in that like week before, um, what is know, it called? 5-HTP. Okay. Or GABA is another name for it. Um, but that can be a helpful supplement. Otherwise just making sure that you're getting in adequate, like good complex carbohydrates during that time period too, because again, those are what are going to help push that whole reaction. So, um, you know, sometimes if you're having high estrogen levels in the first half of your cycle, then that's what'll drive that really strong drop off in the second half, because it's like, if you're jumping off like a medium sized cliff, it doesn't hurt as bad when you hit the, the ocean. Right. But if you're jumping off a really large cliff, it's going to hurt even more worse. Right. So, um, 
Um, it can like be the higher, the high, the lower, the low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be that, or like you don't have enough progesterone to help balance it out because they really like when we're talking about estrogen progesterone, everyone's going to have a little bit of like a different range for themselves and that's okay. But really what we're looking at is that those hormones should be parallel to one another. So if we're ever seeing a situation where you have higher estrogen than progesterone or vice versa, then that's when we're going to see a lot more PMS type symptoms occur. So that's something to look at. Another thing to know is that during that time period, there's a lot of inflammation that's going on. Um, the menstrual cycle and that luteal phase is like a huge inflammatory environment. Uh, some people might've heard of prostaglandins before. Those are like these little molecules that are what cause us to get sick, but they're also what cause all of the PMS symptoms. They're what drive cramping, which then drives the loose stools, um, which drives headaches, so on and so forth. Right. So that could also be that you might have other contributing things, driving inflammation. Um, a lot of times I see that coming from the gut for a lot of women that I work with. And so until we resolve that, then we don't get the inflammation under control, but I usually, I have something called like a PMS doc that I teach women how to kind of incorporate through diet and supplementation in a couple of my different programs that I offer. And so it's essentially just kind of like three part it's anti-inflammatory support and pretty high therapeutic dosages. And then it's nervous system support, um, most commonly from like 5-HTP or like an adaptogen and the magnesium. Um, because if you can get those things in your body in pretty good quantities during before you start that PMS window, you're going to help be able to kind of bring down what that body's going to naturally elevate. Yeah, I believe that, especially because even especially with magnesium, it's just such a miracle, magnesium is. And I feel like before your period, sometimes sleep gets a little bit weird and your sleep cycles can be off. And I feel like I even have a topical magnesium that I've been loving and I'll rub it like on my chest, temples and wrists before bed. And it it's not a drastic difference, but it's just, but that's not what I wanted. I wanted subtle differences and oh my gosh, I, sorry. I saw someone outside. I thought they stole my car, but <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Johnson. But yeah, that was, that was something that I thought was really, really Great. So, and I also like that you're talking about therapeutic dosages because some people just throw something in a smoothie and think they're getting it. And so it's tough to know how much you mentioned something a minute ago that I want to go back to low carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, and on which phase of your cycle. And I know that there are certain phases of your cycle that it's not as big of a deal if you're dipping in carbohydrates, but can you talk about why it's so important for women to get a certain amount of carbohydrates? I feel like so many women just not, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. You're feeling really bloated. Why would you want to eat carbohydrates? Or if you are trying to lose weight and then someone's telling you no, but like sweet potatoes or potatoes or what spaghetti squash, whatever, they're recommending you feel like it doesn't really make sense, but hormonally it does. Can you talk about that and how it affects Mm -hmm. metabolism and everything? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I would say carbohydrates are so controversial, um, beyond everything. Right. But there's so many different situations to look at. And especially in the reproductive years, the conversation around carbohydrates and around food availability has to be almost completely opposite than when you're not in the reproductive years, because there's so many, what we call neuropeptides that are essentially things that are released from the brain. Remember I said that everything within the hormone system is coming from the hypothalamus. Um, and as well as how those carbohydrates are helping regulate hormone conversion. And they're, they're also dependent off carbohydrates. So, um, for example, we know that there's a neuropeptide that's called kisspeptin that's in the brain that is very easily influenced off of carbohydrate availability. And that's one of the reasons why when women dip too low on carbohydrate while they lose their menstrual cycle, um, because kisspeptin is regulating how the hypothalamus is communicating with our ovarian system. So because peptin will get impacted. Secondly, carbohydrates help regulate thyroid hormone conversion. So one of the things that we know from the research is that men are not as easily impacted by carbohydrate restriction or even caloric restriction as it relates to thyroid hormones as women are. And I can't tell you how often I see in my practice, women who have maybe normal TSH, which is what's typically ran as a screening tool, thyroid stimulating hormone, but have really low free T3 and free T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone. It doesn't really matter what your TSH level is when we're talking about metabolism. 
what really matters is where your free T3 is because that's the end state of your thyroid hormone. And if your free T3 is below three, we know that you are in a low carbohydrate state that is causing you to metabolically be downregulating. So think of it as like, if your body isn't getting the carbohydrate that it needs to keep the system going as it should, it's going to go into survival mode and say, all right, downregulate. We don't need these processes to be at the speed that they are. We're going to slow everything down. Metabolism gets slowed as a result. And the reproductive system is voluntary, which means that we don't have to reproduce to survive. We need our heart. We need our lungs. We need our brain to survive. We don't need to reproduce to survive. So again, that's the first thing that goes is that the body says, this is not a safe place to reproduce. There's not the energy availability on board to do so. I'm going to turn down processes until there is. I think that something to to say about that is I, you are so right. Carbs can be so controversial. And this isn't saying that you have to go eat 12 bagels a day. The whole point is to get more complex carbs and fiber in your, in your body. So things like berries and whole grains and rice, it doesn't have to be processed carbohydrates. It's actually the complete opposite. You want those complex, more slow burning carbohydrates. And I think that once we it's like fats. We want to just rebrand carbohydrates. Like they're, they're good for you. We need them, especially for women. So whenever I see people that are taking advice from their husband's personal trainer, who it counts macros and, and that's, this, that is absolutely fine, but the goals are different. And you see that weight loss is being achieved by your husband or by your person or by whoever it, it can really be a, a hard thing because you might really lose weight quickly if you completely cut out carbs, but to what expense are you, you know? And okay. I wanted to touch on that. I think that that's so important. Can we also talk about period flu? What is the period flu? Because I think I know, and I think this has happened to me so many times and I am always like, Oh, it's the world's way of telling me to slow down, which I guess it actually is. But can you talk on that? Yeah. So there's a couple of different theories, if you will, or like things that are going on that can drive period flu. And I've actually seen a couple of different people's thoughts that are out there, practitioners of like, they're different. Um, there are different interpretations of why period flu happens, but the biggest thing from a physiological standpoint that's happening is that your immune cells become more sensitive. And that means that you have just more of a compromised immune system. The second thing that happens is that you, um, have more issues within mast cells and mast cells are what regulate histamine production. And so that's one of the reasons why a lot of women will deal with like headaches and maybe like kind of runny nose or some of those symptoms of like, they're not actually sick, but they're kind of like at that point right before. Right. Um, that's a mast cell, um, issue that's going on. And again, there's always a root cause to that. Um, I see for a lot of women that that can be issues within the gut because we know that the microbes in our gut can make histamine. Um, I've also seen with a lot of women, uh, issues within like mold, um, that's driving some of the histamines as well. So again, there's so many different things. Estrogen drives histamine too. So there's like an estrogen dominance issue going on, but the most thing, the most important thing is that those immune cells are more sensitive. Our body is in that luteal phase after you ovulate. And this is why it's so important to start testing when you ovulate, your body just has a lower tolerance for all stressors. So you're going to see if you test any of like these biofeedback metrics, you're going to see that your heart rate is more elevated at baseline, um, typically by about two to five points, um, a beats per minute above what your normal baseline is. You're also going to see that a metric called heart rate variability, which is kind of a measure of like our body's stress resiliency is also much lower than what your baseline is. I find for myself, it's about 10 points lower. Um, but it's really going to be dependent off of what your heart rate variability averages. And that's because you're in that luteal phase and progesterone is really, um, taking a toll on your body's ability to recover. So we're essentially saying our fuse is so damn short at that point for all things, not just for, not just for attitudes, not just like as a joke for PMS, it's actually our threshold is lower during that time. That yeah, is so interesting. 
Mm -hmm. And the more that you understand what's going on in your body, the more that you can get ahead of it and support your body. Right. So like I work with a lot of women that have autoimmune conditions and with autoimmunity, the period flu is at an even higher risk. Um, so they're going to deal with even more propensity to get sick during that time frame. And if you have like your wedding coming up during your luteal phase, or you have this like big work trip that's coming up, like there's no chance that you want to get sick. So by understanding where you are in your cycle, then you can support your body and honor it so that you don't then end up pushing yourself to that point where you do get sick. Yes. And it's, it's so tough because there'll be, maybe you have a really big gala or who goes to galas? I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you have a wedding you're going to, maybe you have a, your own wedding, a bachelorette, like somewhere where you want to be in a bikini. And so you're like, Oh, okay, no carbs. I'm going to work out every single day. And it just so happens to be during that time of your period. And then it's actually comes back to bite you in the ass tenfold. Yeah. And what I want to also ask, and I saw this on your Instagram and I think that I'm so guilty of it is talking about, and I think that when I talk about it, I'm more so mean healthy fats and protein as hormone balancing foods, quote unquote, what are your thoughts on the trend of, you know, hashtag hormone balancing foods? (laughs) What do you think about that? I mean, it's an oversimplification, right. Of, of how hormones work. And it's challenging because sometimes when I bring this topic up, people are like, oh, well then why should someone work with a dietitian like you to be able to help improve their hormones? Like, no, that's not what I'm getting at here. Like food is going to be the biggest determinant of how your hormones function, but we can't just like eat a sweet potato and expect our progesterone levels to magically balance. Like it's so much more complex than that. Right. So it's more about functional nutrition patterns of how you are eating to be able to support your hormonal profile. So like, for example, one of the big trends I'm seeing right now is a lot of people just saying like, eat a high protein diet. Women need to be eating at least 30 grams of protein per meal. And I'm like, that's great. Women do need to be eating enough protein, but that shouldn't be your only focus. When I was in college and I just focused on a high protein diet, I lost my period for four years because I was going to say you can eat six quest bars a day and be constipated. And yeah. 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 And you don't have carbohydrate. You don't have fat, which we know are the building blocks conversions for these different hormones. So yeah, protein's important, but if you just focus on protein, the other macronutrients fall out of place. Right. So it really is about more of these like patterns and the way that you eat and then understanding how you can integrate these foods as medicine to be able to provide your body some of these healing benefits. I have a question for you on a more personal note. Mm-hmm. it's not every day that you speak to someone who has done so much work behind the scenes on educating themselves on dietetics, doing clinicals, doing your, do you have to do a residency for dietetics or yeah, it's, yeah, 10 month uh, apprenticeship essentially. Okay. Apprenticeship. Well, either way, doing all this work and really you have to be you have to have a real true passion and desire to educate when you go into working specifically with women, especially if they're talking about hormones, what was your inspiration for working specifically? Cause there's so many things you can do with dietetics, but what was your inspiration for working with specifically hormones and maybe with women and men, I'm not sure, but, uh, and was that from a personal experience that you had? Yeah. So when I was in college, I went to school on a competitive cheer scholarship. And, um, when I was in college, I ended up changing my major, my freshman year to nutrition. And as I started learning more about nutrition, I started to make own dietary changes. Right. And I kind of did like like what I just explained, where I just started eating a high protein diet, started incorporating a lot more vegetables, Um, you know, was also training a lot, you know, was exercising a couple hours a day between practice and workouts and things. Um, and eventually I lost my period, you know, it started to become a regular and then I ultimately lost my period. And, you know, I was learning in school about, you know, science and about like hormones and things. And I'm like understanding that this isn't healthy. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have lost my period, but as I was continuing to try to make these different changes and I was going to all these different doctors and specialists, 
everyone was like, you're doing all the right things. And all the doctors were saying, all of your testing is coming back. Good. Everything is clear. And I just knew that that wasn't, that wasn't the answer. And I wasn't going to stop there. I knew that it wasn't normal to not have a menstrual cycle. And so, so you I were really, just getting regular blood work, just regular panels. Like, no, nutrients. I was like, Oh, you were. Yeah. Like I had like an MRI, my brain done to see if I had like a hypothalamic um, tumor. I had like, they did like the progesterone test with me where they like put you on progesterone for a couple of days and see if your period comes back. They like tested all the hormone levels. Like, I mean, everything under the sun that you could think of, right? Like ovarian ultrasounds, all of it. And like everything was coming back negative. So their doctors were like, we're stumped. We don't know, you know, and it was really frustrating for me. And so I just kept diving deeper. And, you know, as I was in school, I just kept like listening to podcasts and doing research on my own time and attending conferences. And I was like, if no one else is going to help me fix myself, then I've got to at least try, or I want to at least understand, like, if this is the rest of my, how the rest of my life is going to be, I want to at least understand what's going on. Like, why is there this dysfunction? And then I got into my, my residency, my dietetic internship, and I interned with a functional medicine doctor. And I started learning about functional medicine and functional lab testing and talking with him about all these different things that could be at the root cause of what was going on. And ultimately we did some testing and six months later, I got my period back. And I was like floored. I was like, OMG, I cannot believe this. And so I just kept diving even deeper. And then I became a dietitian and I was working with a lot of women of different walks and was seeing hormone issues in every single one of them. You know, a lot of people come to a dietitian because they want to lose weight. Well, a lot of the reason why women weren't losing weight was because they had hormone issues. And I just continued to dive deeper and deeper. And, you know, a lot of times dietitians ask me, they're like, what nutrition, you know, things did you learn? I'm like, it's not about learning nutrition. It's about understanding how the female body works, because if you can understand Mm. how the female body works, you can apply the nutrition principles to that. Right. But no one is studying how female physiology works deep enough. We're just trying to take the principles that were tested in men and apply it to women, or we're just testing things that we're just understanding things at surface level. And I'm so committed to not allowing that to be the end point of how we understand how to nourish and support our body as women. I love it so much. And I think that that's something we don't hear as much. I love that you really haven't even talked about food. You've talked about food, but as a, as it relates to the specific testing, I like that it's not just, okay, eat, you know, don't eat carrots, only eat kale. There's not any of that. And I think that that is something that people will resonate with. But with that being said, I do want to talk a little bit about food and food habits, mostly about the food habits, talking about the patterning and things like that. Something that I typically struggle with during this time of year as it gets colder and drier is dry skin and hair. That's not something that I am super proud of, even though I have all these healthy fats in my diet and I am using the products that I know I need to be using, it still doesn't always get the job done. I'm so excited to announce that Organifi is putting Glow, their Glow product, on the market for good. It's not a special this time. It was in such high demand that they brought it back permanently. What is Glow? It is a delicious raspberry lemonade blend that leaves you feeling radiant and beautiful. It supports natural collagen production and elasticity. It leaves brighter glowing skin from the inside out. And get this, it has five times five times the moisture of hyaluronic acid. You hear hyaluronic acid all the time when you're talking about skincare, when you're talking about hydrated, bouncy, youthful looking skin. And that is exactly what this is doing. It's using amazing ingredients like rosehip, tremella mushroom, bamboo silica. Silica is actually something that helps with the glow and shine of hair and face and skin. There's coconut water, baobab fruit, pomegranate, lemon, raspberry, and the list goes on. Super simple to incorporate into your day-to-day routine. Again, it has things like acerola cherry. So not only is it good for skin and hair and nails, but it's also great for your insides and your overall health and longevity. I'm obsessed with this product. 
I started the day with the Organifi greens powder, and then during the day, I'll mix this into a large mason jar full of water. Maybe I'll squeeze a little lemon in there just for extra support, and I just enjoy it with a straw, with a little ice, however you want it. For a limited time, you can get free shipping when you get two different canisters. So if you get the glow as well as the greens powder, then you're getting free shipping on top of the already 20% off by using the code HTH at checkout. Again, that is code HTH at checkout, or you can use the code by going to the link in the show notes and clicking on Organifi, and it is an amazing way to support the podcast. Thank you so much, Organifi, for sponsoring this episode. You mentioned earlier food habits and food patterning. There are so many, some of my best friends, I have done this. I don't do this intentionally, but once sometimes it happens, is waking up, having a workout, then waiting another two hours to have any food because you've had a cup of coffee and you think, oh, well, maybe you didn't even work out, but you're waiting until 11 to have your first meal, but you woke up at six or seven. What are your thoughts on that to me could be extreme intermittent fasting if you aren't fueling yourself right afterwards properly, or you're still having a ton of coffee and no hydration. What are, what are your, some of the patterns that you see that if you could remove or fix with a blink of an eye, what would you, what would you do? Yeah. So that exact pattern that you just mentioned, like doing a workout fasted on caffeine, waiting a couple of hours to eat that will work for you for about six months while your body's running off cortisol. Like you will see improvements in body composition. You're like, I feel great. And then it will work against you and you will shoot yourself in the foot with that pattern. Right. And that's what a lot of women are doing chronically because they found success in it right away. But then what happens is that over time, right. Hormones are just messengers. So they're constantly scanning the body. You constantly are giving your body this like information that this is the situation you're going to be in on a daily basis over time, hormones start to become negatively impacted. Your body says this isn't a safe place to reproduce, shuts down the reproductive system, thyroid hormones get impacted, so on and so forth. Right. So I think that's a very common pattern that I see in a lot of women. And maybe it's because they don't understand that or the ramifications, or maybe it's just not prioritizing themselves um, because they're just trying to fit all the things in and get on to work or whatever else they have going on. Right. So Yeah. I mean, I think that's big for sure. I think a lot of it too, is the way in which people are eating. So I think just as similarly with some women, there might be an issue of like the wrong balance of macronutrients within their meals or within their day. And maybe that's driving insulin resistance or, um, you know, that's driving issues with like metabolic function. Right. But on, in the same breath, there's also a lot of issues of women of just under eating and under eating provides a ton of stress on the body. And a lot of women are maybe under eating because they think like, I used to think this way. I used to think that I could, I would say like out macro my hormones, right? Like if I just continue to create a caloric deficit or continue to track my macros, that it didn't matter what my, what was happening with my hormones. I didn't even think about hormones that I was going to be able to get to whatever body composition goals that I had in mind for myself. And I was really awakened once I dealt with hormone issues. And I always say that when you see stuff on Instagram, that's like, Oh, it's as simple as just count your macros, or it's as simple as just, you know, pair this food with that food. I'm like, clearly that person's mm-hmm. never dealt with a hormone imbalance. Cause if they've dealt with a hormone imbalance, they know that it's not that simple because yeah. once your hormones become imbalanced, you have to th- start thinking about those and how you're eating to be able to support those and above everything else. And once you can repair your hormones, then you don't have to be so focused on every little morsel that you're putting into your mouth. I see so many women that I work with who just specifically with nutrition, not on their hormones, but they will immediately look at what we're working on with their nutrition plan and go, I'm not going to be able to eat all this, or this is way too much. This is not what I wanted from you. And they get a little frustrated with me. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm not here to reprimand and like shove food down your throat by any means, but this is, this is a plan that would yes, increase your calories, increase your carbohydrates, increase your fats because, because one protein bar in the first half of your day, and then eating a salad with grilled chicken on it. And then at night binging and having half a bottle of wine is not working. It's not working (laughs) anymore. And uh, I think that it's, it's just such a mind fuck to have people eat more and 
more carbohydrates, more complex carbohydrates and actually see results happening. And they think, oh my gosh, does that mean I'm going to have to continuously eat more and more and more? It's not like that. Your body will find a nice equilibrium, but I like, I like to hear your perspective on that. And before I let you go, if you could, again, blanket statements, I know you hate that probably, but if there was something that you could recommend to everyone, maybe, maybe someone's saving up to do some testing because it's not always super inexpensive, but there are definitely some options. What are some practices or supplements that you have found just on a general scale to be beneficial for hormones and for overall female health? I think the most important thing is how you balance your routines and your habits throughout the course of the day. Um, I teach, I teach all the women I work with, there's like three things and that's your daily routines, your movement and your nutrition. Like those are the most important things for your hormone function. Right. And I think that the routines and those habits are going to play the biggest role in how your hormones function. And I would start there, you know, and by that, what I mean is look at your morning routine. What are you doing in the morning? Are you waking up in the morning in a stress state and going straight to work, running off caffeine, not eating that routine needs to be improved upon, right? Like who your hormones, when you're thinking about hormone function, think about like listening to your body, becoming in tune with your body, checking in and asking yourself, like, what does my body need in this current situation? What is not working for myself? If you're feeling like you are running on fumes or you are, your body's in a stress position and multiple points throughout the day, you're running off cortisol and that's negatively going to impact the rest of your hormone function. Right? So we want to be constantly checking in with our body and asking how can we better support our body? But I think that those routines are going to make the biggest impact. You know, I always start when I'm talking women about like, what is your morning first hour upon waking look like? And what is your last hour before you go to bed look like? Because those are the bookends of your day that are going to play the biggest role in your circadian rhythm, which is going to impact cortisol production, melatonin production, which is then going to impact thyroid hormone production. Like it's this whole cascade, right? So if you start there, you're going to see positive improvements start to happen. It is always screens and caffeine. It's just yeah. screens and caffeine. And I'm like, if we could just tweak those. I completely, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much. And before you leave, can you let everyone know where they can find you and what you have coming up? How can people work with you? Yeah. So my Instagram is nutrition with low. My website is functionalfeeling.com. Uh, I have an ongoing women's program called strength and hormones, and that's where we focus on those three pillars, nutrition, routines, and movement. And it's all about teaching you about your hormones, how to understand your body better and how to eat, move and practice to be able to support hormone balance. So, um, you can find more information about that over at my website, functionalfeeling.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. This is so helpful. Thank you.